There will still be reporters every day going to work in the White House. It, either, well, that hasn't been determined, Chuck. Um, really? No White House reporters. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Fantastic. I got the feeling that something right. What could possibly go I'm wrong? I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Yeah, it's a little scary. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast on Inauguration Week. As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard coast to coast and streaming around the globe on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, Muckraker and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for another thrilling action-packed adventure, and it gets thrillinger by the day, doesn't it? Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> coming up, um, Comcast, NBC Universal is reportedly blocking the airing of an ad that targets the Mormon Church in Utah. We'll have the creator of that ad join us in a bit and to explain uh, that ad and why he believes the Mormon church should lose their tax-exempt status. But first, lots of breaking news today. Uh, just days away, as I say, from the inauguration of Donald J. Trump as the 45th president of the United States. Um and as we barrel towards that uh, milestone, some breaking news out of the White House today. Oman, the nation of Oman, said Monday it accepted 10 detainees from the U.S. prison at Guantanamo Bay ahead of President Barack Obama leaving office. Part of his efforts to shrink the facility, he promised to close, according to AP. Oman's foreign ministry said in a statement that it had accepted the prisoners at Obama's request. A U.S. defense official speaking on condition of anonymity as the transfer has yet to be uh, publicly announced by the U.S. confirmed that the prisoners had been sent to Oman. Just uh, last week, uh, authorities uh, with the uh, administration said that they hoped 19 of the remaining 55 prisoners at the U.S. military base in Cuba would be cleared for release and freed in the final days of Obama's presidency, or at least turned over to other countries. Obama has been unable to fulfill his promise to close the facility. And I remember on day one, the day he was sworn in, when he signed that executive order, uh, to close Guantanamo, but that was blocked by Congress and the opposition there to transferring any of the detainees to U.S. prisons, opposition from both Republicans and Democrats alike. 
I'm embarrassed to say. Congress ultimately banned the transfer of prisoners uh, to U.S. soil for any reason, even to stand trial. In the meantime, Donald Trump has said during his campaign that he not only wants to keep Gitmo open, but, quote, loaded up with some bad dudes. So that's putting pressure on the Obama administration to try to find places to send the prisoners who are left there, at least as many as possible this week. Uh, the U.S. began using the military base in uh, in Cuba back in uh, 2002 to hold prisoners captured during the Afghanistan invasion. The facility at one point uh, during at its peak held 680 detainees all at once. When Obama took office, there were still 242 prisoners in the facility back in 2009. Um, and now if the uh, report of the transfer of these 10 prisoners to Oman is accurate, that would leave just 45 prisoners there with administration officials saying they hope to transfer nine more to leave a total of just 34 before Obama leaves office and before Trump takes over on Friday. Uh, speaking of Trump taking over, uh, Desi Doyen, I, I, <laughs> did you see this report from uh, Scottish... Who is this from uh, the BBC? Uh, let's see, from the Sunday Herald in Scotland. Uh, Neil McKay, a Scottish journalist, reported. Um, it, it, well, he tweeted. He said, "I would like the good people of the world to help me get Donald Trump to read this from today's Sunday Herald." Love from Scotland. McKay says, All right, here's how they listed the inauguration coming up at uh, this Friday, 4 p.m. Oh, this is for their Scottish TV time, guide. For their TV guide. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this is how uh, they're describing the uh, the inauguration for BBC One, which will air it on Friday. Here's the description. Uh, After a long absence, the Twilight Zone returns with one of the most ambitious, expensive, and controversial productions in broadcast history. Oh, my. <laughs> Sci-fi writers have uh, dabbled often with alternative history stories. Among the most common is the What If the Nazis Had Won the Second World War setting. But this huge interactive virtual reality project, which will unfold on TV, in the press, and on Twitter over the next four years, sets out to build an ongoing alternative present. The story begins in a nightmarish version of 2017 in which huge sections of the U.S. electorate have somehow been duped into voting to make Donald Trump president. It sounds far-fetched, the Sunday Herald notes, and it is. But as it goes on, it becomes more and more chillingly plausible. Today's feature-length opener concentrates on the gaudy inauguration of President Trump and the stirrings of protest and despair surrounding the ceremony. While pundits speculate gravely on what lies ahead, it's a flawed piece, but a disturbing glimpse of the horrors we could stumble into if we're not careful. Oops. <laughs> oh, man. That That's... is the best description of what is about to unfold uh, this week in these United States. I yes, think. a Twilight Zone special. And what did you call it? A huge interactive virtual reality project into the present. That's what they called it. My goodness. Yes, uh, and it is. It's exact. It is the Twilight Zone. And uh, struggling with how to cover this is no easy feat from day to day. Uh, but we're doing our best uh, as we go into this inauguration on Friday with uh, Donald Trump with the lowest recorded approval ratings 
heading into uh, taking office uh, ever, at least as far as uh, the Gallup, Gallup organization has been conducting these polls in advance of inaugurations. Gallup has found that more than half of Americans disapprove of Trump at 51 percent, while just 44 percent of Americans approve of him. Last week, another poll uh, from Quinnipiac, I believe, had his approval rating even lower at around 39 percent. As I recall, Trump's approval rating has uh, dropped last month. It was actually split 48 to 48, but now it's fallen to uh, just 44 percent approval. It's fallen even more. Yeah, it's fallen even more at a time when usually uh, the, the the country comes together around whoever is elected. And you can just take a look back at. Uh, uh, at recent history, uh, Bill Clinton had a 68 percent approval rating and, a, and an 18 percent disapproval rating in the uh, final poll before his inauguration. George W. Bush had a 61 percent approval and 25 percent disapproval before he was sworn in in 2001. And President Obama enjoyed 83 percent approval and just 12 percent disapproval before his own first inauguration day, 83-12 for Obama. Compare that to um, just 51 approval for Trump and 44% who disapprove. Uh, actually, I have it the other way around. Sorry, I was uh, making it even better for Trump there. 51% <laughs> disapprove. He is underwater here with just 44% approving of him. Kind of amazing, but that's our Twilight Zone right now. Uh, in the meantime, uh, while he's wildly unpopular amongst the populists, he's also becoming more and more unpopular on Capitol Hill, certainly among Democrats, certainly among Democrats in the U.S. House. I believe the count is now up to at least uh, the last I was able to keep track of it, some 26 members of Congress who have stated they will not attend the inauguration. That's incredibly unusual. But this comes in the wake of civil rights icon John Lewis saying that uh, he did not plan to attend the inauguration. He feels that uh, Trump is not legitimate. He believes that uh, Russia meddling in the election has uh, made uh, Donald Trump illegitimate. And he has now been joined for uh, for people from people who either agree with that action or other reasons, uh, largely because of Donald Trump's reaction to uh, to John Lewis, who tweeted that he was that this civil rights legend, frankly, John Lewis, who was uh, beaten and damn near left for dead uh, crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge on Bloody Sunday in Selma, Alabama, in an action in an action. Not talk, but an action trying to cross that bridge, fighting for voting rights, an action that led to the Voting Rights Act, the passage of the Voting Rights Act. For, to call John Lewis all talk, no action, as Donald Trump did, is simply remarkable, uh, frankly. And uh, Oh, and he also insulted Atlanta. It, and uh, John Lewis's district. It, well, that's right. He said it was a crime infested. It's in terrible shape. The roads are a disaster. Not bothering to look that John Lewis actually represents some of the wealthiest people in the state of Georgia, including the governor, I believe, uh, who, who lives in John Lewis's district. But, you know, John Lewis is black. So 
the roads in his district are falling apart. They're a disaster. By definition, crime infested. Yeah, according to uh, Donald Trump. So we're now up to 26 people who will not attend. You know who else may not attend? Monica Crowley. She's actually been uh, appointed uh, to a senior communications role in Donald Trump's incoming administration, but I suspect she won't be showing up at the inauguration. She's a right-wing author and a Fox News television personality. Uh, she has bowed out of her role following uh, plagiarism revelations against her. The uh, the mo- and she's the first one to drop out with all the criticism of all uh, of all of the various uh, appointees by Donald Trump. I believe Crowley is the first one to actually drop out. We'll see if she's the last or not. But this comes after CNN's uh, K file, Andrew Kaczynski and his uh, group at uh, CNN uncovered multiple instances of plagiarism in her 2012 book, in her columns for The Washington Times, and in her 2000 Ph.D. dissertation for Columbia University. Crowley was slated to be the senior director of strategic communications for the National Security Council in the Trump administration, and a Trump official confirmed the move, according to CNN. So Crowley is out out. After CNN had reported just last week that Crowley had plagiarized more than 50 times in her 2012 book called, quote, this is the title of the book, What the Bleep Just Happened. I guess that was after the reelection of Barack Obama. What the bleep just happened. Uh, well, one of the things that happened is apparently Crowley s- stole stuff from all over <laughs> and uh, used it as her own in her book. The publisher HarperCollins pulled that book from sales. Uh, K-File later found thousands of words plagiarized in Crowley's 2000 dissertation for Columbia University for her Ph.D. and a review of columns for The Washington Times uh, that she writes at, or at least used to, uh, also found plagiarism in seven different columns. So she's the first, but she may not be the last um, as as more and more concerns about Trump's various nominees uh, come to light. One of them also from CNN today. Good for CNN breaking some news here for a change. Congressman Tom Price, they say, uh, last year purchased shares in a medical device manufacturer just days before introducing legislation that would have directed directly benefited the company raising new concerns for uh, Trump's nominee for Health and Human Services. Price brought uh, between $1,000 and $15,000 worth of shares last March in Zimmer Biomet, according to House Records reviewed by CNN. And then less than a week after the transition, they report the Georgia Republican congressman introduced the HIP Act, which would have uh, delayed until 2018 a Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services regulation that the industry analysts had warned would significantly hurt Zimmer Biomet financially once it was fully implemented. They are apparently one of the world's leading manufacturers of knee and hip implants. They were one of two companies that would have been hit hardest by this new regulation. After uh, Congressman Price had offered this bill, to provide Zimmer Biomet and other companies relief from this regulation. The company's political action committee donated to the congressman's re-election campaign as well. This is just the latest example, they note, of Price 
Congressman Price, uh, Health and Human Services Secretary nominee Price, the latest example of him trading stock in a health care firm at the same time as pursuing legislation that could impact the company's share price. This has become a big deal. Wall Street Journal reported last month that he had traded, that Price had traded some $300,000 in shares over the past four years in health companies while pursuing legislation that could impact them one way or another. And uh, concerns about Congress members doing exactly that, essentially insider trading, which was not illegal, at least until 2012, uh, and uh, when they enacted the Stock Act in 2012 that was supposed to try to combat this practice, but apparently it did not keep Congressman Tom Price from doing it. In the meantime, he's announced that he would divest from 43 companies, including Zimmer Biomet, within 90 days of Senate confirmation. He will, he said, he, quote, will not participate personally and substantially in any particular matter on an issue that could affect any of those companies if he has not yet fully divested from them. And yet he says he's not going to divest from them until, well, within 90 days of his Senate confirmation, whenever that is. He is coming up, I believe, this week for his uh, confirmation hearings in the uh, Committee on Health, Education, Labor and Pensions or HELP Committee. That's coming up. And uh, and yet he says, well, within 90 days, he'll fully divest of this. And yet Donald Trump says that as soon as price has been uh, confirmed, as his uh, HHS secretary, then that's when they're going to announce this plan to both repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare at the same time. Well, will that be before or after he has divested from all of these companies? And uh, Donald, uh, Donald Trump himself <laughs> is being asked to explain uh, by the FEC a whole bunch of potential campaign finance violations that we're just now getting uh, to look at. The uh, Federal Elections Commission, the FEC, sent a sternly worded letter, as Simon Malloy describes it, over at Salon. Uh, regarding uh, the Trump campaign's final disclosure of the election season, it details some 240 pages worth of donations that may violate the law. It includes individual donors who gave in excess of the legal limit, large donations from anonymous sources, and donations from entities that may be barred from making political contributions of any kind. Open Secrets reports that the Trump campaign uh, had a strange system for accounting uh, excessive donations and the resulting refunds. Instead of just sending back excess money when, when donors had uh, given more than they are allowed, instead they would report the, uh, the donations as part of their totals and then later on, they would get around to returning oh, the excess. So yeah. they inflate the totals for Correct. the press and then they give it back in the hush hush. Don't tell anybody. Exactly. Ah. And apparently Malloy reports that it has happened that it happened over and over with the Trump campaign, artificially bloating their uh, their fundraising totals. Uh, Open Secrets also notes that in the final weeks of the campaign, Trump took in about $40,000 in donations from a few dozen LLCs, limited liability corporations, which uh, could be illegal depending on how those entities are treated by the IRS. So the FEC wants the campaign to clarify the status of those LLCs, return any money that was donated in violation of the law. 
Uh, and but you know, a fish rots from the head down. He is uh, he will be in charge of this administration, and so all of his uh, nominees. Well, they are not unlike Donald Trump in many ways. Uh, a lot of them are billionaires or claim to be billionaires. Donald Trump's transition team has now acknowledged that Betsy DeVos, Donald Trump's pick for education secretary, omitted. $125,000, a uh, $125,000 donation. That's a single donation. Uh, she omitted that from disclosures that disclosures that she had submitted to the Senate committee in advance of her confirmation hearings. That's scheduled for Tuesday of this week. It was supposed to be carried out. Uh, her, her confirmation hearing was supposed to happen last week. It was pushed off. Um, after a criticism that uh, the Office of Governmental Ethics had not yet been able to fully vet Betsy DeVos. Apparently, they still haven't been because you got a $125,000 political donation that she just so forgot about. She just forgot to report it. Well, you know, it's only $125,000, more than most Americans make in a year. But yeah, for her, that's chump Chump change. change. It's stuff. It's couch cushions. It was, uh, yeah, exactly. Change in the couch cushion. It was, uh, uh, this was to oppose a ballot initiative in Michigan that would have enshrined collective bargaining rights in the state constitution. She hated that idea, apparently. So she she, uh, donated $125,000 thousand dollars against it at least one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars because that donation apparently represents just a small fraction of the more than five million dollars in donations that DeVos did disclose last week to the uh, to the Senate Help Committee. Five million dollars is one person donated, at least as far as we know, at least as far as she is willing to admit um, that's how it works in these United States right now. Apparently, if you're a billionaire, you can literally we talk about this literally donating millions to political campaigns, political operatives, uh, you know, ballot initiatives for or against millions and millions of dollars. Because, as the Supreme Court says, oh, that's uh, that's free speech. That's free speech. Well, is it really? Do we really have free speech in this country? Uh, apparently not if you live in Utah or if you want to make a, a, a political claim in Utah. We'll talk about that with my guest next. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Right, right, you bloody well right. You got a bloody right to say. You should. Right, you bloody well right. You know you got a right to say. Welcome back to the Bradcast. 
Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yeah, you'd think you'd have the right, but according to the Salt Lake Tribune in Utah, Comcast NBC Universal, the world's largest cable television company, is refusing to broadcast ads soliciting information targeting the tax-exempt status of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as the LDS Church or just the Mormon Church. Comcast was supposed to begin airing the uh, ads for mormontips.com last Wednesday in the Salt Lake City media market, according to Fred Carger. But a few hours after a Tuesday news conference last week promoting the ads, Carger said that he received word from Comcast that it would not televise the spots. That, after Carger says, the ad was already paid for and approved by Comcast. Here's the full one-minute version of the 60-second ad that Comcast is now refusing to run in Utah. It's titled, Help Us. It's time. It's time. It's time for the Mormon Church. To pay taxes on all its income. The Mormon Church has over $1 trillion in business holdings and brings in between $8 and $20 billion each year from its members. And the Mormon Church spends millions and millions of dollars every year on politics all over the world. The church demonizes its LGBT members, won't ordain women, and has rampant sexual abuse in its ranks, all while it turns the other cheek. Please help us. Please help us uncover the vast business holdings and all the secret political activities of the Mormon church. Help us collect any evidence on Mormon church tax fraud, and we will then file a complaint against them with the IRS. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's provocative. That's the ad from mormontips.com, which is a project of rightsequalrights.com, as I understand it. Comcast Spotlight, which will not uh, air the 32nd version of that ad. Uh, Comcast Spotlight is the cable outlet's advertising division. They said late last week in a written statement obtained by the Salt Lake Tribune that upon review, the ad did not comply with our guidelines because the client was unwilling to provide substantiation for their claims and we do not accept ads that demean individuals or specific organizations. The spokesperson did not specify what Comcast had found to be unsubstantiated in the ad, however. And uh, Tim Kay, director of political strategy at NCC Media, which sells airtime to clients on behalf of the cable industry, said that Comcast wanted the same thing that Fred Carger does, as heard in that ad, documentation about how much money the church actually has. Well, that's odd, given that that's what MormonTips.com is trying to obtain from tipsters via the campaign. So is there more going on here? Is this simply a requirement the cable operators have for political campaigns of this type? Or is the very powerful Mormon church exercising their muscle in Utah with the world's largest cable company, Comcast NBC Universal, which covers most of the state? Here to explain what the hell is going on is Fred Carger, who is now a longtime friend of the broadcast and, once again, the lead muckraker in taking on the LDS church for some reason. 
Fred was a former Republican political consultant. He's still a gay rights activist, and he was a 2012 candidate for the Republican presidential nomination. He's worked on nine presidential campaigns. He served as a senior consultant to the campaigns of Presidents Ronald Reagan and Jerry Ford. After taking on the Mormon Church for their support in banning marriage equality in California and elsewhere, he became the first openly gay presidential candidate. He now is president of RightsEqualsRights.com, and he's still taking on the Mormon Church. As you heard, he is the lead voice and the lead face in that 60-second spot we just ran here. Hey, Fred Carger, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you very much, Brad. Good to be on. Uh, boy, uh, wh- what was the reason that you were given by Comcast for the cancellation of that uh, of that spot? Well, you you basically read their uh, response, which was a double-edged sword. One was you've got to document all your claims, which mm-hmm. were all public information anyway. And number two, it's a defaming commercial against, and you know, we don't run defaming commercials against individuals or organizations aka religions and so i knew had i documented things which was i i had kind of done was uh, just mm-hmm. uh, exercise in futility so i i uh, decided to to fight this one out because um obviously the, the, as, you, as you had indicated and and ncc media who is our media buyer said um we had turned the spot in because having made controversial political ads over the last 35 years, I know the drill, they need them a week ahead of time for legal clearance mm-hmm. and technical. So we turned them in the week before we were going to run. Uh, it took them two days. They had a technical correction, which we did, and it was, I've got the email chain. It was good to go. And then when we debuted our commercial, previewed it for the press at a, a news conference in Salt Lake just last Tuesday, um, and it became public, suddenly they decided not to run it. And that was obviously pressure from the Mormon Church, which controls the state of Utah, all the cable licenses, their big advertisers on Comcast, and they flexed their muscle. And I think it was a, an error, too, because taking off our commercial, which was only a $2,000 buy in five markets over a week, so it was a small buy. We were going to hopefully raise money to keep it running longer, mm-hmm. but they've drawn more attention to, to their bullying and to this uh, improper activity. Do you have any evidence that, in fact, the Mormon Church was behind this, Fred, uh, as you, you just charged? And also, you, you said that uh, documenting uh, the claims in this ad, I guess, about how much money the Mormon Church has, that that would be uh, futile. Why, why would that be futile, and, and what's your evidence that the, the Mormons are behind uh, what's going on here from Comcast? Well, the first uh, part of that is that um, I know how the Mormon Church operates. They are um, all-powerful, and particularly in the state of Utah. It's a virtual theocracy. They run you know, the entire state, every elected official, Statewide is LDS, every member of Congress is Mormon, every city and county is controlled by Mormon members, except for Salt Lake City. So they exercise a tremendous amount of power. They don't like me. I'm the guy that discovered their vast involvement in California's Prop 8 in 2008 to take away gay marriage. I I got them investigated and prosecuted by our ethics office because they only admitted to spending $2,078 on the campaign. Turned out it was hundreds of thousands of dollars they ended up reporting, but much more likely millions. And so I've learned that they are very dishonest, and they have done things very secretly. secretively. So 
when I made those four claims, which I mm-hmm. researched very carefully, my compliance attorney that I don't do anything without running everything by him signed off on, were that they own a theme park in Hawaii on their own website, the Polynesian Cultural Center, owned by the church, mm-hmm. which is a religious organization, the big, second biggest tourist attraction in Hawaii, um, is mentioned as a theme park. That's what it is. They question their $2 billion shopping center, which you can look at any newspaper in Utah uh, when it opened that the church was bragging about their $2 billion investment in this mall, which is church-owned, we assume pays no taxes, and put the other mall out of business. And I should and say, that, I should say those claims, we don't hear you make those claims in the audio that I just played, but they're shown on the screen, $2 billion uh, mall and so forth are, are shown on the screen as you and the others are talking. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Uh, it's like a radio commercial when you play it. or Yeah, blog exactly. Yes. It sounds good on that, too. But, yeah, those are the claims. And then the tithing, no one knows what they get. They mandatory 10% um, from gross income from all 15.6 million members. So there have been estimates from anywhere to 8 to $20 billion. No one knows, plus all the other mm-hmm. monies they get. And then the only thing that's unknown that no one can document, and I challenge the church to to tell us what their net worth is, like any other business has to do, um, is a trillion dollars. I've heard up to three trillion dollars. This is an organization that you know brings in between eight and twenty billion a year with no overhead to speak of, and the best and brightest investment minds. So, you know that was all bunk. Um, they said it was demeaning. Look at the Clinton. We're pulling the Clinton and Trump ads from Utah that were run and many other commercials that are far more demeaning than you know we're talking mm-hmm. about here so it was the pressure of the, the mormon church in a, in a bad political and uh, public relations decision to uh, pull our spots because uh... today i think there's a story coming out uh... in the philadelphia inquirer by this great investigative journalist who heard about it and comcast is a company town in philadelphia so he's been digging into this, and it, it really smells. And um, it's just too bad that this Mormon church, which is leaking like a sieve, um, is not more transparent and more honest. You also claim in the in the one-minute version of the ad, the, the one that we ran, that the church has, quote, rampant sexual abuse in its ranks. Now, do you have evidence to, A, back up that assertion, and B, allow me to point out that, uh, or, or you can confirm here, Fred, uh, the, the rampant sexual abuse in its ranks, that claim is not made in the 30-second version that was to air on uh, Comcast that they've rejected, correct? Correct, right. We cut down the, the one-minute spot into a 30-second commercial, which is what aired. Mm-hmm. So that part was not in. Um, the foreign lobbying was not in. The great picture of Mitt Romney, because there was a former church employee just recently on a podcast uh, and was asked um, what it was going on during the 2012 Mitt Romney campaign. Was the church involved? And he said, well, we we're very specifically told not to be involved, but you know how it goes. So we're going to be talking to a lot of former and current church employees to find out if, if there was, was church involvement. The host of that podcast, this John DeLynn, Mormon Stories, asked his guests, well, they could lose their tax-exempt status, couldn't they, if they were involved in a, in a political a partisan campaign like Romney's, and he said, well, I guess they could. So, you know, we've gotten a lot of tips as far as the sexual abuse claim. I've read several books. There's one by Martha Beck, whose father's in the news today through another leak, who is a great Mormon historian, 
who talks about how rampant it was and her personal story, how her father used to continually abuse her, and this is one of the revered Mormon scholars. So I would say we've probably gotten 200 to 250 um, tips so far off of this uh, commercial and our website, mormontips.com, and I'll bet you 20 of those, uh, most of them were, were not, not pleasant, but of the, the 20 are at least talked about sexual abuse, personal sexual abuse. If you go to our website, we have a testimonies page, which is a Mormon term, and they have on their LDS.org site, and there are only four up now. We're going to be having dozens of them. One of the young men talked about how he was abused by his father's friend, uh, when he was five or six years old, and they do, not unlike the Catholic Church has done and probably still does, they went to their bishop with us, their Mormon lay bishop who's a you know, volunteer, who's a business person presumably, and, and oversees their, this particular section of the church, the ward. Mm-hmm. And the, the bishop said, we'll take care of it. And it wasn't until years later that law enforcement was finally called in. So it's a huge problem. I had not been familiar with it till I'd read this Martha Beck book mm-hmm. and then started talking more. But they have a huge problem that they've covered up and trying to you know, avoid any, any spotlight um, like we've seen there Catholic. Uh, and, and, and we should note, again, that that claim, that sex, uh, sexual abuse claim, was not even in the, uh, the version that Comcast turned down. You, you said, Fred, uh, that it has run, however, in Utah. It's a smaller cable company in Utah that... Uh, that did run the ad, and and how much of the television market in Utah is actually controlled by Comcast? Well, we use this NCC Media, which is the largest cable buying company in the world, Mm -hmm. and I don't know if I'll be using them anymore, but uh, they they, uh, bought our spot. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a company called AdWorks, which was about 10% of our buy, so just about six of the 60 commercials that we were going to run, and um, that's in Provo, which is the, kind of the heart of, of Mormon country there. It's where BYU is, and it's, uh, it's actually very, very fertile ground, so we're pleased that they obviously stood up to the, the pressures that be, but um, Comcast controls something like 90% of the market in Utah, which is crazy, and um, very disheartening that they will just exercise their right to refuse our commercial. You've been a longtime Republican, Fred Carger, and Republicans have long supported these huge media mergers, as have Democrats, by the way. Uh, But doesn't this underscore the problem with these mega media mergers? In other words, when you've got someone like this, even if, you know, one company had turned it down, you'd at least be able to go to a lot of other companies. But that's not the case, as I understand it, uh, across Utah and across much of the United States now. Well, and Comcast, and doing some research, has done some pretty shady stuff. Um, the same buying company we used told me that there was a measure on the November ballot last year in Oregon, Measure 97, which was a, a big corporate income tax boost. So Comcast is big there, so they fought it and gave a half a million dollars to defeat it. And, and then when the commercial was brought to them by the yes side, uh, attacking Comcast, they arbitrarily took that down as well. Wow. So they're using censorship to quash our free speech, and um, and I'm I'm going to be fighting back against them. And we've asked uh, CEO Brian L. Roberts, who's a, a very progressive guy, um, to intercede here. And so um, that's going to be our next pitch. We're going to be doing a an online petition. We may be doing some ads, 
in Philadelphia, uh, appealing to, to Mr. Roberts. We had the best buy, Brad. We were on two Utah basketball games, one versus UCLA, one versus uh, USC. We were on the Simpsons 600-episode marathon, which, of course, has had a lot of, uh-huh. uh, had of Mormon uh, episodes. We were on Law & Order. We were on CNN. Our big buy was on Fox News because uh, we're going for Mormons and ex-Mormons who want to want to tell what actually uh, happened in the church and how they've abused the political process and if they're paying taxes on their vast business holdings or not. The uh, you, you charged, again, just now, and, and in your letter to the uh, Comcast CEO, Brian Roberts, which I assume he has not yet replied to. Is that is correct? Correct. Okay. Uh, you say that the company has denied us our First Amendment rights of free speech, but the First Amendment... That applies to government, not to private companies, right? I mean, how so they can air or not air whatever they want, uh, particularly on cable. Am I wrong? How is this an infringement of your free speech rights? Don't they have the right to decide what airs over their own private cable outlets? We may we may find out um, if we if we pursue this further, but they need to be consistent. If they're going to deny a commercial because it's demeaning to an individual or an organization, well, then every commercial that's run, political or not, needs to be denied by Comcast. And then there'll be a real First Amendment battle. But to arbitrarily pick out our one small commercial buy is um, bullying. It's, um, it's, uh, that was my first reaction when I got the call from the media buyer with the bad news um, the day before the spots were going to run when they'd been approved and paid for. So I, I think Mr. Roberts, who's a fair-minded guy, will, will overrule his, uh, his Utah operation because it's, it's just not fair. And um, we don't have the resources to file a lawsuit. But we're certainly going to try and put some public pressure on Comcast to do the right thing. Now, as a longtime Republican campaign operative yourself, Fred Carger. Have you purchased airtime in the past for political campaigns? Is there a different rule, as you understand it, that applies to, uh, you know, candidates versus campaigns by nonprofits like this one? My uh, the reason I'm asking is my understanding is that TV stations, at least, are not allowed even to vet political candidate campaigns for accuracy because that might run afoul of First Amendment issues. But is is there a different rule? Do you know for candidates versus a, just a campaign like this, a political campaign of of a sort that you're running? It's you know it's a fairly wide open field. Uh, we go through on on our projects because these are political in nature. Even though the Mormon Church isn't running for anything. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a, a situation where they uh, do require uh, paid for at the beginning of the commercial, which we do, paid for by, and it has to be up for mm-hmm. four to five seconds. And then they also um, specifically ask for uh, the spot a week early so their legal department can review it. And that's the exact same process a political ad goes through. So you have to have your commercial ready. You can't do something the last minute. You mm-hmm. need at least a week's lead time in order to go through that process. So. Um, we do fall under that, although we're not a specific candidate, but I've never, in 35 years of doing this and buying hundreds of, of ads, political and not, ever had a commercial turned down. And I, I would uh, challenge any of your listeners to go to my, my campaign website, because I did a much more aggressive um, commercial against them. And, and this is why, you know, you're wondering why I've stepped up to this fight right now. Mm-hmm. And that's because the Mormon Church... Um, has come up with a new policy, 
And that was done about 14 months ago, and it was leaked by someone in the church about three days before they were going to release it. And it tells same-sex couples who had just been given the, the freedom to marry by the Supreme Court months earlier that they're out of the church. They're what they are termed apostates. They're gone. They're thrown out. If they have kids, either through a previous marriage, relationship, or together, their kids are out of the church, banned from the church until they're 18. And then when they're 18, they have to choose between their parents who raised them and their church. And if they choose their church, they have to disavow their parents' sexual orientation. So that has caused this rash of teenage suicides around the country. And one of the mothers of a gay son has been tracking this, and she told me about two months ago I ran into her wedding. In Utah, there are 68 teenage suicides from this policy because these kids are demeaned. They're, they're having a tough time anyway. And then when they're thrown out of the church, they, they take their own lives or think about it or attempt it. As someone else told me, his daughter, 16 mm. years old, was one of the victims and tried to attempt an attempted suicide. So someone needs to fight back for those younger people, and I have taken up that mantle because we're fighting back against the church who's been demeaning and passing laws and doing everything possible to demean not just the Mormon LGBT members, but all of us. They ran Prop 8. They funded it. They ran and funded Prop 22 in California just eight years earlier, the same language. They've been all over the country doing this, and it's time we fight back. I've got just a minute or two here, Fred Carger. Um, is there anything that I, because I know you have long gone after the Mormon Church and won, as you noted at the top of the interview, in a couple of cases where they were uh, where they were found to have violated election laws, I understand it. Uh, is there anything that they could do at this point to get you to leave them alone, Fred? Uh, or is this just a matter of, they are political, and therefore you would like them to uh, to, to lose their tax exempt status. And actually, let me let me note here: uh, the Salt Lake Tribune notes. I love the way this is reported. Um, that it is rare for any entity to lose its tax exempt status. Experts on the topic say the IRS has never stripped such status from any church. Well, that that in that case, rare would be an understatement. Um, so. Uh, is there anything they could do to get you to leave them alone? And do you think that any church which contributes to a political party or campaign in some way should lose its tax-exempt status, as you see it? The Mormon Church is a unique situation. Because it's so active politically right now, and there's another leaked video, which is just the greatest viewing in the world, from four and a half years ago when former Governor Mike Levitt was reporting to the Twelve Apostles on all they had done and all they were doing to pass these religious freedom laws, which we're seeing now in states, and then there's a federal law by two Mormon authors, one in the House and one in the Senate. And they're so-called so religious freedom, because basically they take away freedoms from everybody else, right? Yeah, they're the First Amendment yeah. Destruction Act, is what I call them. Yeah. Um, it's taking away all these rights and giving extra rights to religions to discriminate. So, no, short of getting out of this business and doing what they're meant to do, which is to be helping those in need, help the poor... Do the, do the, you know, give a portion of their funds, which I don't think, is, religions are supposed to give 5% of their gross income to charity. Well, I, I doubt the Mormon Church, I mean, they calculated some of their claims. It's, it's like one one-hundredth of 1% of that 8 to $20 billion each year. So they need to get out of the political business um, as, as secretive and stealth as they do it. They need to be transparent and, and just 
in closing, what I'd like to say is something is wrong with an organization like the Mormon Church that has so many dissatisfied employees and former employees. Um, this Ryan McKnight has started this uh, website, mormonleaks.io, and he just released more leaks today. He's, people are dumping stuff on him. He's got a backlog of, of leaks. We, we, the, gov, the federal government you know, occasionally has whistleblowers or mm-hmm. corporations. We're talking about dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of leaks and documents that are coming out, some of which I received uh, eight years ago. Um, hundreds of hundreds of documents about all they did to to um, stop gay marriage in the country for twenty years. Should, so, should, but here here's a worry that I have, Fred. What what about a pre you know a, a preacher who sermonizes on a particular issue that is thought to be political in some way? I remember back during the George W. Bush years, uh, you know, a, a, a church, for example, that has someone advocate against the Iraq war back then that they should lose their tax exempt status. Are we opening up a can of worms when we start? Uh, you know, leaning on any organization, religious organizations, political inclinations as a reason to remove their tax-exempt status? Not, I mean, I am all for freedom of religion, for them obeying the, the uh, IRS tax code, which prohibits not coming out against a war, but prohibits endorsing a candidate from the pulpit, yeah. a partisan political candidate. That is illegal, and that is and as it should be. They should not. In, they have tremendous influence over their members. A lot of religions, particularly the Mormon Church, so mm-hmm. they're they're forbidden from doing that. Because don't forget, these are charities. If it's a corporation and they're they're paying taxes, they're allowed to say whatever they want to do. But if they're a religion with a 501c tax exempt status that pays no taxes, there are certain rules they have to abide by to get that exemption. Just like the American Cancer Society and things like that. They have specific rules on political activity, and that is as it should be. And so I'm not bullying the church. I'm just fighting back against the church for, you know, and don't forget, this is something I just found out, actually, which was interesting. In 1977, we're talking 40 years ago, the Mormon church led this effort in Utah, which was the first state to ban gay marriage. I thought they didn't get involved until 1995, but... Utah passed that law in 1977, and the vote in the House, the lower house, was 71 to 3. Mm. So, you know, it shows the influence they have, and it's everything they, they do, and they do it very well, I might add, but they have to obey the, the laws. Fred, before I let you go here, uh, you, you joined us at various times throughout the 2016 election season, and I want to thank you for that. Uh, to comment on the, on the GOP primary debates, the convention, and so forth. And as I recall, you said you would not support Donald Trump at the time. Did, did that end up being the case? And uh, either way, are you uh, terribly excited now that your party or, or your former party uh, will, will be in control of all three branches of government, Fred? I'm a little apprehensive, as I think most of the country is. It's going to be a wild ride. Um, we could have done worse in the Republican Party, I think. There are some real disasters running, like Ted Cruz and Rick Santorum and Mike Huckabee. Those, they so, would have been worse than Trump? Oh, yeah. Oh, my. Absolutely. Okay. So, I mean, I'm, I'm going at this with an open mind. I was not a Trump supporter. But I'm hoping for the best for our country. I think his heart is in the right place. He's, uh, you know, he's a character and he's a showman. Um, but he's, a, he's kind of reinventing the world order and, and the way the president 
works. And maybe maybe that's good, but uh, time will tell. Oh, well, I, and I may have to call on you again in the uh, near future, Fred, to tell me how it's not as bad as it appears, because, boy, it sure appears like it's going to be trouble. <laughs> Fred Carger, uh, you can uh, check out the commercial at mormontips.com. Uh, his organization, rightsequalsrights.com. His campaign website, fredcarger.com. And if you'd like to harass him on the Facebooks and Twitters, you can find him at Fred Carger. Always good to talk to you, my friend. Uh, good, good luck with Comcast and, uh, and with your best friend, Donald Trump. Thank you very much, Brad. We'll keep you posted. <laughs> Thank you, sir. All right. From the swamp in D.C. to the swamp in Utah and back to the swamp in D.C. Right after this, I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yes, it is. To what? I don't know. Uh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen on Friday at this uh, at this inauguration and thereafter? That's a good question. We've been talking over the past week. Oh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We have been talking uh, over the past week uh, about Donald Trump versus the press versus the media after that insane, bizarre press conference last Wednesday. Uh, when reporters were 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 told, as uh, Esquire puts it, were subject to a scolding described as fake news and disgraceful, and what do they call BuzzFeed, Desi Doyen, a, uh, d- a failing pile of garbage? Oh, is, is what, that what it was? That's what Donald <laughs> Trump called to, BuzzFeed. It's yeah. hard to sort them all out amongst the the flood. Yep. Uh, well, uh, we talked last week with Matt Gertz of Media Matters how the the rest of the media after CNN and and BuzzFeed were called these names by Donald Trump, how the rest of the media did not come to their aid, did not help them out at all. And um, as uh, Peter Boyer over at Esquire over the weekend says, uh, this showdown between uh, Trump and the media has been won by Trump. The media's sense of dislocation may soon become literal. Boyer reports that according to three senior officials on the transition team, a plan to evict the press corps from the White House is now under serious consideration by the incoming Trump administration. If the plan goes through, one of the officials said the media would be removed from the cozy confines of the White House press room where it has worked for decades. Members of the press will be relocated to the White House Conference Center near Lafayette Square or to a space in the old executive office building Next door to the White House, Sean Spicer, Trump's press secretary, says there's no decision, but acknowledged that there has been some discussions about how to do it. Spicer 
says that it's uh, it's it's not really any uh, problem with the uh, with the press. It's just logistics. There's been so much interest in covering President Donald Trump. He said the question is, uh, is a room that has seats for forty nine people? Is that adequate? Reince Priebus, formerly the chair of the RNC, now Donald Trump's chief of staff, was on uh, on with Chuck Todd on Meet the Press over the weekend uh, and was asked about it. Priebus said that uh, the decision has not yet been determined, but he reiterated that this is about more access, not less access. There's a new report out this morning from Esquire magazine that seemed to indicate that uh, it is your intent to remove the White House press corps from the White House. Is that true? Well, look, uh, first of all, um, let me explain. No, because the White House obviously is 18 acres, right, Chuck? So, no, the the technical answer is no. But what we have is that you you saw the news conference the other day. And, by the way, I'd have to quarrel with you. I don't think it was a bizarre uh, news conference. I don't think it's a fair characterization. But there was 500 to 600 reporters at that news conference. What, What I'm talking about and what we're talking about, and the only thing that was even discussed about this was whether or not you want to take that room that only holds 50 people in that very small press room, which it looks big on TV, but it's very tiny, and whether you want to go 50 feet to the EOB and have for the first few weeks or the first month or so the press conferences where you can fit three to four times the amount of so people. this is not about, it's about more access so this is not this about, is just about the office space or any of that business this is about quadrupling the amount of reporters that can cover our press conference but there will still be reporters uh, in the white house there will still be reporters every day going to work in the white house it, either well, th- that hasn't yeah. been determined, Chuck. Uh-huh. But as of now, the only thing and the only thing that created this story—I just want to make it very clear—was the question of whether or not right. the press briefings, at least initially, are going so to this be. So is, is this about? But EOB. you're not answering the question. Is this about press briefings, or is this about kicking the press out of the building altogether? This is about press briefings. That's okay. what created. No this story no uh, this is uh both about controlling the media and if you've watched any of these donald trump press conferences that he has ever held over the past year it's about having enough room in there to put supporters so they can cheer after his responses to questions and after he uh punches out literally or otherwise members of the media and if there's only 49 people that are you know can be jammed into the white house press room it's very small they can't get all their supporters in there. They can't get their people that uh, they want to have in there uh, yelling and screaming and cheering and applauding uh, when uh, when Donald Trump or his press secretary speaks. That's what this is about, in my opinion. In any event, conservative commentator Kathleen Parker wrote on Twitter in response to this. Here we go. First, silence the reporters, she wrote, adding the hashtag fascism the final countdown but to what i don't know we'll all find out together i suppose my thanks to my guest today fred carger of rights equal rights.com to desi doyan our producer and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us if you missed any portion of today's program or any other download it for free anytime at bradblog.com drop me email i am bradcast at bradblog.com find me Follow me and share me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Brad Blog. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.